Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week and back to take a look at what went down in the final days of the transfer window. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host there. I'm joined by the man in the know, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yep, yeah, I'm very good. That transfer window is behind me. Fabrizio Romano can ruin my life no longer. Well, he can, to be fair. He can always has the potential to ruin any journalist's life. But um, yeah, it's it's been a nice couple of days um, easing away from the closing of the window. Um, it's going to be an interesting show. Um, there's a, there's been a lot of transfers, so so finding the winners of it is is probably harder than ever. I reckon. Yeah, I mean, look, there's been, as you say, a lot of moves, but more than that, I think there's been a lot of overhauls 
this summer. So yeah. it's quite hard to judge sometimes, I think, when a, when a club goes down a, a new route, if it starts well and it's like, wow, what a window they've had. And by Christmas, it could have all fallen apart. So these shows are intrinsically very difficult to do <laughs> and they might look very silly in six months time. But I think what we can look at is teams that have spent wisely, teams that have made moves that most would consider sensible, whether they all work out on the pitch or not is a slightly different question. I think mm -hmm. the best you can do is try and make sensible decisions and hope that it works. And, and so I suppose mm. that's what we end up looking at when we're talking about the winners of any transfer window. It's, it's a struggle mm. because, you know, you're going to talk about the Premier League and then I'm going to talk about some teams across Europe as well in part two. But it's hard to kind of judge, especially sometimes when you're talking about a club like Chelsea, for example, because I have no idea. They, they've spent so much money and they've, and to be fair, they've sold so many players as well. And this is a complete revamp of everything to do with the club. It's very difficult to know where you kind of stack them in something like this. It is indeed. And that was one of my dilemmas that I've faced. So I'm going to explain now that because of this chance for winter being so weird and wild, I actually realise it's impossible to compare the teams across the Premier League in terms of their transfer business. You can't compare what the teams in the bottom half of the Premier League are doing to the teams in the top half. And as a result of that, I'm not doing it. What I'm doing is I'm looking at the Premier League's biggest teams today because there are seven teams now that are basically expected to be in the Champions League conversation at the end of the window. And it is easiest to determine how they've compared to each other rather than everybody else. But at the end of that ranking, I will then tell you who was the overall winner of the Premier League window. So I, I will bring everybody else into it as I wrap it up um, at the end of the ranking. So we're in for a bit of a wild ride here, I have to say. But here we go, Jack. Like Let's You didn't it. even know exactly what I was doing here, and you're about to find out. Man City, Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, and now Newcastle are the teams that are widely expected to compete for the spots at the top of the league to qualify for the Champions League. Now, this is the reason I'm comparing these teams is they're the ones that have similar expectations, similar-ish balance sheets. Um, and these are the clubs that can buy the biggest players. These are the clubs that are expected to challenge four trophies. And therefore, I think that these clubs have the most pressure on them to get their transfer business right. Now, I'm not just judging the, on the players that they've signed. I'm judging them on what they actually needed. I'm judging them on who they could have got, who they should have got, and whether they actually have achieved what they set out to achieve. That part of this ranking is really important. I'm also, though, going to throw in that bit on the end. Did they get that special X factor? Did they make a signing that could get the fans excited about what's to come this season. It was a pretty impossible job, but I've given it a good go. And straight at the top, I'll say, of these seven teams, no one actually had a bad window, right? That's what made this even harder. They didn't have bad windows. At number seven, this explains it, Newcastle United. Now, some people think that Newcastle have had like one of the best windows this summer. I think that it was steady. And I think that actually that's fine. I think that this is probably sensible from Newcastle and I don't think Eddie Howe will mind being number seven. Eddie Howe did not want to win the transfer window because that um, propels the expectation levels and he certainly didn't want a marquee name like Neymar coming through the door. Sandro Tonali was a really nice big surprise one from Milan at 55 million and he is great. Like He definitely lifts the levels of this starting eleven. 
But then I see the others really as padding it out. Harvey Barnes, Liveramento, Lewis Hall, they're all fine. But I don't think that they move the needle very far on what Newcastle are going to be capable of this season or how excited they actually make the fan base. Um, There's also a big reason why I've put them in at the bottom, and that's because they contemplated signing another centre-back and they didn't go through with it. And I think that they're going to regret that. Since Botman has picked up a knock, we've started to see a Newcastle team that is more susceptible to conceding. They've got three points from four Premier League games so far. And I know they have had a tough fixture list, but part of living up to being a Champions League club is managing to get points out of those matches. And I think that with the Champions League schedule coming up and Newcastle have got an extremely tough Champions League schedule, I think they're going to be short. They had they talked about FFP concerns, um, but they did still scout further potential signings. And this is a pretty harsh one. But in terms of the big clubs in the Premier League this season, I think Newcastle are going in at seven. I think in terms of the the window, that's not a particularly as you say, it was it was felt like a consolidation window rather than a, a move on window. It felt like building the squad out so there was a bit more depth to play in champ in the Champions League as well as everything else. I don't know why I just decided mm. I was gonna not qualify Champions League with the in front of it, but alas, here we are. Um and, and I think you kind of look at that and think it's still a little bit light defensively, as you say, and I think I think that's kind of been an interesting one. I don't know if they're going to have to shift Dan Byrne inside to try and fill out those gaps. Not a great place to be. No, I, I don't think so. But you know, Jamal Sells might be on his way out. It looks like, but I think yeah. they've they've picked up really well in the fullback positions. Those Lewis Hall and Tina Livramento signings, very very interesting indeed. I think they've they've filled out Harvey Barnes, as you say, in those kind of areas just to make things happen in in those wide areas and be able to rotate from Isaac and be able to give Anthony Gordon a little bit of a breather here and there. It feels like a good window, but not a great one. And and that's okay. I think it's been fine. Exactly that. Um, So at number six, I've got Tottenham Hotspur. Now, when you lose your best player, you are expected to react. But I commend Spurs for not panic buying a striker. So well done. I've marked them down a little bit here, though, for not buying any strikers. <laughs> I think they probably could have done with someone coming through the door. Uh, they did look at players. Um, but yeah, while it's a good idea not to rush out and buy your Harry Kane replacement, which they're not going to live up to, I think they should probably should have got someone, even if it's a 21-year-old, to come in and, and start um, showing that they they've got an actual number They did buy a striker. Nine. They did. They bought Alejo Veliz, the 19-year-old from Argentina, who signed mm. from Rosario. Um, How many games is he going to play this season? I don't think very many, but it is, no. it is worth talking about the fact that they spent nearly £13 million on a striker and everyone, okay, no, everyone just ignored it. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, obviously, it's a, that's a future signing um, and not one that we're going to see break through this season. Um, James Madison, though, a top target. They got the deal done at £40 million. What a brilliant signing. One of the signings of the summer. So absolutely great stuff there. He's already showing himself to be one of the best signings of the window. Van de Ven, like, he's 22. He costs £34 million. I think it will pay off eventually. I think that it's going to take a little bit of time. And I think that we should, the expectation shouldn't be too high for him this season. And I'll be honest, like one of the reasons that they are in here at six is because I do think that Tottenham 
wanted and should have signed another centre-back. I do feel like, I mean, this actually becomes a theme of my ranking, to be honest. A lot of teams seem to be potentially short of a centre-back. Maybe there's a shortage of of good centre-backs at the moment, maybe. Um, but obviously also uh, the goalkeeper, Vicario, like Tottenham, I think that was an underrated signing. I like him. Brennan Johnson, I think he's going to be... Um, a good one and he was a top target as well which is worth pointing out like he was a player they really really wanted like James Madison and they actually got the deal done so well done Tottenham overall I think it's a very nice refit um not yet getting rid of Hoybier and Ndombele isn't ideal but I think you look at it it's probably a seven and a half out of ten window you're you've just lost like your poster boy and Harry Kane and like the potentially of, of, of 30 or goals a season you're trying to make that up in different ways it sets the tone for Angie's first season without too much expectation and importantly allows a bit of scope for more additions in January when you see figures out exactly what he needs yeah I mean I probably would have had them a little bit higher I think it's been a really interesting window from Spurs. And then maybe we're a bit, I'm being kind of biased by the fact that they've started this season really well, I think. But I thought they upgraded in pretty much every position apart from up front, you know, and it's very difficult to upgrade up front if you sell Harry Kane. That's just as simple as that, right? So it's one of those where I'm not hugely worried. I think you're right there a little bit light at centre-back. Um, but they'll be delighted, or Spurs fans will be delighted, I think, that Davinson Sanchez has now left, especially with that disaster class at Craven Cottage in, in the League Cup that he, that he produced. Um, they've signed some interesting players, and Ashley Phillips, who, again, I don't think is going to be you know straight in here and, and making a difference straight away. But just in general, I think that Van der Ven's a really good signing. I'm intrigued as to how Ange uses Brennan Johnson. It was clear that he was desperate for, for Brennan Johnson in particular to, um, to get home. Um, and then... You know, you look at Vicario, who I think is a really smart, low-key pickup. It was one of those where Spurs were linked with all sorts of goalkeeping options. And Vicario, Venom Vicario, came out of the blue from Empoli. And actually, when you kind of look at that move, it feels like that's the kind of thing that's been the, the kind of key to their summer. They've just been gone about their business relatively quietly. The Madison Dunn got their deal got done really early. That was in June. So did Vicario. And then they sort of just slowly added to the squad without going wild. And actually, when you put all that in context and you put it into context of how Ange wants to play, the the type of striker that he used both at Celtic and before that, I'm intrigued by this Tottenham side. And I think that we might be on for something quite special. So I, I probably have them a little bit higher back. I completely understand why you've put them in. Yeah, I mean, they've got a fantastic start to the season, no doubt about that. Um, and Ange is starting to prove me wrong already about how he's how capable he is going to be in the Premier League. But yeah, I've got... I'm looking at this across the season and I think that this uh, steam train that is Tottenham will eventually slow down and we'll start to see a few cracks in it that are going to need to be fixed in the next window. Now, look, I talk about how difficult the rankings are and you say Tottenham are too low. Well, at number five, I've got a team that I... Found really hard to place, and it's Chelsea. Yeah. Um, now, actually, I on, immediately after the window shut for another job that I was doing, I had to rank these seven teams actually, and I actually I'm putting Chelsea now lower than I did straight on the back of the window because, and the thing is, this is how you have to judge Chelsea. Their plan was to totally reinvent themselves, mm-hmm. and they've done that. Yeah. So. In their eyes, it was successful. Now, the squad turnover is unlike anything we've ever seen. 
they got rid of almost everyone that was there two years ago. And they set out with this plan to sign, you know, 18 to 24 year olds on long contracts with big potential and built out from there. So they did achieve that. But look, £115 million for Moise Caicedo. Not many teams can do that. I think it's ridiculous because I don't think he's worth that much money. But Chelsea have it, so they've gone and done it. I don't know how you judge that. Like That's also they how found much somebody... the market is worth, right? Like It's very it's, difficult to actually judge They've made the market. Them. That's the problem. Yeah. They've made the market with the Enzo deal last year, like earlier in last season. So they created this false market. And now they're having to exceed transfer records to buy the next player that they want to go alongside him. So it is so, so hard to judge. But when you look at the other signings they've made, Lavia and Kunku, Cole Palmer, DeSassi, Nicholas Jackson, Robert Sanchez, Ogachukwu, Washington, even the other, the keeper Petrovic, but they're all an exact fit for the profile of player they wanted to get through the door. So again, I have to say, well, they're achieving what they set out to do. Now, Look, I don't think this is a great idea. I don't think this is a fast route to success. And I think that at the end of this season, there's going to be massive question marks over what the point of it all was. They have to then, in the second season of Pochettino, go and actually meet the goals of winning trophies. But they have brought in some excellent talent. They have got rid of the dead wood. The major, major flaw, which actually since my initial reaction to the window to today of me dropping them levels is they should have signed a goal scorer. Yeah. Like ultimately they've spent a billion pounds and they still haven't rectified their biggest problem. They've got a bloke who can score any goals. And I can't, I, I think like the more I thought about that actually coming into this episode, I was like, that's kind of like absolutely ludicrous. You've got Nicholas Jackson there. Who's look, he's a good player. I, I, I've, I've obviously been very harsh on him this season. And he's my Darwin Nunez of this season. But that's because he is the, the main focal point of Chelsea's attack. And I think he's going to score probably 11, 12 goals from what I'm looking at so far. So that's not good enough for a billion pound spend. If you've got this much money, you should be signing like Victor Ozzyman and getting like 25 guaranteed goals through the door. So I'm judging them harshly, but that's because they've got bundles of money and they've been throwing it around like nobody's business and yet they still don't have a guarantee source of goals. Yeah, I mean, this is it, isn't it? When you spend this much money, you're expected to become challengers immediately. And and maybe that's not the the way that Chelsea are going to work because they they are looking at this as a long-term project. But I think that naturally when when these kind of sums are thrown around, people are going to expect them and 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 kind of mock them if they don't challenge immediately at the top of the league and for you know, and to challenge for those Champions League spots and also potentially for, for trophies. Well, I, I think it's easy to, right? So the fact that this is going to take time. And I saw a brilliant line in The Athletic from Liam Toomey, friend of the pod the other day, who basically was like, Chelsea have a wonderful business investment portfolio. Now they need to build a football team. And I thought it was really kind of poignant. So you're looking at this and going, yeah, actually, I, I think that whilst this business has been unprecedented, there's plenty about it that makes me think it's really smart. But if those players don't go out and perform on the pitch, the whole thing falls down. And so therefore, you've got to now look at this and go, OK, you've picked up loads of players in lots of positions. You haven't got the, the goal scorer. I think Nicholas Jackson will become a nine, but he's not there yet. Uh, in in terms of what he, what he has as his finishing ability and the the kind of clinicality that he's offering 
in that number nine role, I don't think is there for what Chelsea need right now. The fact that Nkunku's got injured is a huge blow because he was the man in pre-season that was knitting this attack together. He also gets in the box, he scores goals. We know how good Christopher Nkunku is. But to not finish the window by buying someone in there who is going to score goals, and it's, it's like... Yes, I love Cole Palmer. Great player. Really intrigued what he has. He has that ability to dance past players. He also has a foot like a traction engine. It's a, it's a really, really mm-hmm. interesting signing. But you're like, well, what's Noni Madweka think about that? Yeah, how is how, he looking at that and going, oh, though I had the right wing spot, you know, kind of, kind of involved. And then Raheem Sterling is, is drifting off either wing at this point. We're looking at Ben Chilwell playing as a winger rather than as a fullback. There's so many questions to answer that I'm kind of struggling with how to how to nail Chelsea down. So, yeah, this one I think is the hardest of all to call. Yeah, it was a tough one, no doubt about it. Do you know what? So was number four, Liverpool. Mm. Do you know what? Again, when I did my instant reaction to the window, I put Liverpool's uh, like low next to Newcastle. My initial of, take my initial take is that this is low and there is one big elephant in the room that you haven't mentioned that I think it being in the top three is absolutely wild, but we'll come on to it. Look, McAllister, early deal, bargain, £35 million. Fantastic. Sobersly, £60 million. He started brilliantly. I love him. Fantastic signing. All right. It gets complicated because losing Fabinho and Henderson on top of people like Milner took away experience and midfield depth, and that has left them vulnerable. They've tried to fix it late on with Graven Bursch at £35 million, Endo at £16 million. Look, if Endo proves to be as Klopp hopes he is, and some people in Germany tell me he is, then my ranking is wrong. Like, that's that's going to be proven, right? But I don't know if he will be, and I'm, I'm having to judge this on that. Like, it's, it's a hard one. Also, Graven Bursch, like... I'm not that excited about Gravenberch, to be honest, for this season. I, I think Gravenberch will be, over the course of five seasons, a good Liverpool signing. And I think that I think he's got a lot to learn. And I think that this is a perfect place for him to learn because the people around him will bring his game on. For this season, what do I see Gravenberch as? bit of a water carrier, to be honest. Like he's going to pick the ball up, carry it forward a bit and distribute it to other people who can do more than he can. I, there's a reason that Bayern Munich have let him go and that's because he hasn't got the final pieces to his game yet and they need that and they're not willing to wait. Liverpool have a bit more time for that and a bit more patience with that and that's why Gravenberch fits. But for the immediate now and right now, I'm still not convinced about that DM position being safe. And further than that, I think that Liverpool should have done something in defence because in the middle... And on the right side, they're one injury away from a massive problem. Um, and I'm surprised... Only if they that injury is Joe Gomez. <laughs> Joe Gomez. But you look at like the fact that Trent's out now, uh, potentially out now. Say when, as soon as Trent limps off the pitch, you're worried because Joe Gomez has to move across to the right. And then you're like, if Van Dijk's not there, like, well, what now? What like the, Suddenly things start to get a little bit stretched. And if you're a team like Liverpool who... Look, I'm backing to basically push Man City hardest this season. I think Liverpool are going to do that. I, I really like their team. I just feel like this could end up costing them. And that's why I've been quite harsh on them. This is not a bad window. I don't want to say like it is, but I don't know if it's any more than a seven and a half out of 10. Like it's probably bordering on an eight. 
I just feel like they might be let down because they're assigning short. Yeah, I, I can see that. I just think that what Liverpool have done in this window, and you actually look at the overhaul, the fact that they weren't planning on losing both Fabinho and Jordan Henderson in the same window, the fact that they had to completely overhaul this midfield, I, I think actually look at the business and think, yeah, gone out and done very very well here and 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 that's the i think that's the sign especially they've been able to adapt to the situation they've been able to adapt to the conditions and i think that whilst yes you'd maybe have hoped for for one more through the door generally you look at this squad and think it's up there with the deepest in in the premier league aside as you say from maybe at center half but you know i think that we saw matip and, and joe gomez play together as center back in the last game we know that van dyke and canate are there and and will be the first choice pairing when when they're fit then you've got you know Trent and Joe Gomez on that right hand side yes that's a little bit light Simicast and Robertson on the other perfect everyone's in 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 good shape the midfield looked a little bit light at at defensive midfield but I think that what we saw at the weekend with that kind of three eights who all have a bit of defensive responsibility when you saw Curtis Jones playing alongside Soberstein McAllister really worked now that's going to be not the kind of thing you could maybe display on in the Champions League or against Manchester City. But I thought that the fact that it worked against a team as good as Unai Emery's Aston Villa was a, a great sign for Liverpool. And, you know, in the attacking places, this is about as deep as I think anyone in the league. Luis Diaz, Darwin Nunez, Mohamed Salah, Cody Hakpo, Diego Jota. That is an unbelievable attacking core. I, I am very, very impressed with what Liverpool have done in this window. And I think that the addition of Gravenbach late on obviously can play slight, lots of slightly different roles, but I think is best when he's kind of released as an eight to be able to get into people is mm. just a really smart it's, bit of business. Again, another 21-year-old youngster. Yeah, I think I'll be a bit of a box-to-box, I think, only at the start, but um, it'll be interesting to see if which way they evolve him, backwards or forwards. They need a backwards. They need a, they need a DM. So let's see. At the moment, I don't, I don't see that enough in his game to be able to fulfill that properly within the Premier League. I think he'll get bullied a bit and, and won't be strong enough. So let's wait and see. Uh, also, obviously, the um, elephant in the room on that one is that if Mo Salah ends up losing, uh, leaving in the next couple of days, then Liverpool um, go to the bottom of this list and they've had the worst transfer anybody's ever had in their life because they've, they've lost their star player and can't replace him. So we'll ignore that for now and hope for you Liverpool fans that that doesn't actually happen. At number three... Slightly controversial, possibly, is Man United. Mm. I think it... Do you know what? I spoke to a friend of mine, actually, who kind of changed my mind on this. I thought, United haven't done enough. And I'm disappointed in them for not getting more people out the door, too. And I had a chat with him for five minutes, and he kind of talked me around on it. Look, it was a slow June. It was a great July. It was a bit of a scary August that ended in relief, right? United's window was a, a roller coaster, but... The squad is levelled up from the end of last season. I don't think Ten Hag can really complain that much. The absolute priority for United was to get a striker in, and they got Hoyland. They say that Hoyland was the guy that they wanted, and they got him, right? £64 million, I think they've overpaid for him, but at the end of the day, they've got their man. They've got someone who is mm, potentially Haaland-esque uh, eventually, but like they've got a player who is capable of some... Unbelievable little moments of skill. If you have watched enough of his like highlights, reels, and st- stuff, you'll see like he's got the little Ronaldo chop in his game. He's got the ability to st- look. 
actually one of the things that stood out when I've been watching Hoyland is I don't think he converts enough of his chances so far. That's the difference between him and Haaland at the moment. So it's probably a bit harsh for me to keep comparing to Haaland right now. I, sh- is, I shouldn't yeah. be doing that. But it's I'm just gonna, because his name sounds a bit like him. Sounds a bit like him and they, they live and live in the same city. So I'm going to. Um, but his conversion rate won't be as high as Haaland. And, um, I mean, that's okay. That's like a- very few players in world football have a conversion rate as high as Erling Haaland's. Yeah, so th- that's going to be something. Mason Mount, £55 million deal. A lot of people don't like it. I think it was an early deal that added much needed depth to Man United beyond somebody like Christian Eriksen. I don't think they had anybody that's got the same sort of brain that Mason Mount's got. I also think as you go forward, Mason Mount could end up playing in one of the wide positions. Say Jaden Sancho does end up leaving Man United. We've actually got use Mason Mount as more of an attacking player player if you like um so I don't mind that at all they lost David De Gea they signed Onana they've leveled up the goalkeeper one of the best goalkeepers in the world now at Man United who actually fits what Ten Hag is going to do 44 million pound great signing and then Amrabat the guy they actually wanted all along he's now through the door it saved the window for them now United would have been possibly bottom of this list if that deal hadn't have happened on deadline day because they would be stuck like they'd be stuffed like they'd have no chance of having a good season Man United, what we've seen so far this season, doesn't really matter anymore because they've now got Amrabat going in there alongside Casemiro and it changes this team's development and structure. So ignore what you've seen so far because this is the guy they should have got him three months ago and didn't, but they have. And then they've padded out the squad with Bayendir, the goalkeeper, Region, like obviously a problem at left back there to go and rescue. Don't mind the signing of Region at all. Johnny Evans, whatever. Um... But yeah, you know, the, I feel it's a potentially wasted opportunity not to get rid of Martial, Maguire, McTominay, Van der Beek. Looks like Eric Bailly will be going in the next 48 hours. But yeah, that's that's where I am with Man United. I think actually overall, Ten Hag has a much better team to choose from than he did last season. Yeah, look, don't get me wrong. I think that Onana is a really important pickup and a very, very good one. I, I like Hoyland in here. I think that he needs some time and he's still very raw, but he is a very good player. I think Amrabat is excellent, a, a truly excellent signing and will be very key in this midfield. But I think you you said something there that made me laugh. You went, Johnny Evans, whatever. Well, kind of no, because Johnny Evans ended their game against Arsenal at centre-back. Now, obviously, they have injury problems at centre-half at the moment. But it's a free transfer and they had no money to spend. But the problem with that is that you, you have to, in that, reg- in that regard, if you don't trust your pl- the players that you have within the squad already, you don't trust your Eric Baez, you don't trust your Harry Maguires, you need to get Maguire rid of... Maguire was playing the- too. Ex- They're an injury crisis. Exactly. And what I'm saying is that if, if, if that is going to be where you've got to, then how are they expected to make the jump forward? We know that Lissandro Martinez has injuries in his locker. It's happened before. Rafael Varane is coming to the end of his career and he has played a lot of football. A lot of football. I think that what we might see this year, Manchester United, is this all fall down on the fact that they weren't able to get sensible backups in for Martinez and Varane. That's where I'm at. It really is. It's one of those I'm looking at and going, I don't don't understand. I don't understand, especially when you have European football to contend with. You have all of these Premier League games and the depth at centre-back is pretty much non-existent. And I, 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 I think, mean, I think that's, that's right. I don't think that's fair. I think they, they've got four... They, they're, they're being tested at centre-back more than any other club is being tested right now. They've got Martinez, Lindelof, Varane and Luke Shaw, who were their top four choice centre-backs, and none of them were available at the end of that game. Like, that's kind of unprecedented to have none of those players. And that won't happen throughout the course of the season. So... 
I, I don't actually think that that's very fair on them. I mean, like they can't, they literally couldn't spend any more money. Like they, they have nothing left in the pot. Like the Glazers have decided they're not selling the club, and that's messed things up for for the fan base. Like they've been stitched up here, United fans. Like they thought the, the club was up for sale. I'm not even sure it really was, to be honest. All along, like it's they're they're stuck for sure. And I've said there, like I thought I thought that they've missed an opportunity to, you know, Maguire. You force him out the door in the end. Like that should have been done. I agree. But he wouldn't go. They tried to get into West Ham. He wouldn't go. So it's up to Maguire now and, and Evans to kind of step up. I think those two are being judged, judged a little bit harshly anyway. They're very good players. Mm. Yeah, well, they were very good players. They were said the other day, someone said, yeah, they should play together again at Wes, at Wes Morgan's testimonial, um, which did really make me laugh. So You're usually was... kinder than this. It's very, very, I, very I, trolly of you. I, I'm not. I, look, I, you know that I like Maguire. You know that I think that he's, a, he's an excellent player who is in a system here in a situation that just doesn't suit him. And the fact that he has decided that he doesn't want to leave, I think is ridiculous, to be perfectly honest with you. I think, I think it's ludicrous. He could have gone out, gone and played in a West Ham team that would have suited him, that would have, you know, given him the opportunity to rebuild his reputation. And instead, he's settling for being fifth choice centre-back at Manchester United. That's madness. That is madness as far as I'm concerned. I, I can't... Oh, he's getting games. I can't buy it. Well, he's getting games and he's getting <laughs> slated. So it's like, there's no way back, I don't think, for Harry Maguire at Manchester Mate, United. The, the geezer's got the, the toughest skin in football, I'll tell you that you know much. What? Like, I, and I can absolutely respect that. I can absolutely respect mm. that. That's not... A dig. And, you know, again, regular listeners will know that Harry Maguire is someone that I'm like, he's had a rough go of it and I think that he actually needs... But I definitely think that new start was on the table for him and he's decided to turn it down. I, I will... I will Never understand that decision. Never understand it. No, that's fair enough. At number two, it's their rivals, their noisy neighbours, Manchester City. They turned into quite good neighbours in the end. Mm. Uh, this transfer window, pretty much perfect. Kvarty old comes in at seventy-eight million pounds, and then they add uh, Kovacic. They get him a bargain, basically twenty-five million pounds, and then they had these two little pieces that nobody saw coming in. Doku at fifty-five million, Matej Nunza at 53 million pounds. And suddenly, Man City are absolutely guaranteed the Premier League title. They got rid of Cole Palmer, and they lost Mares, and they lost Gundawan, and they lost Laporte. Also, lost Doyle and McAtee. Ultimately, they reacted well in the market to the situations that they find themselves needing to react to, and they've done really well. Like they're slightly reinventing the way that they play here, given these signings of Doku and Nunes, but. They also walked away from deals that turned out to be too expensive or problematic. So I think suddenly they got involved in the Declan Rice conversation and then walked away again. Alise at Palace walked away again. Paqueta at West Ham and that didn't obviously didn't work out. But whatever it was, like with those players and a couple of others too, they just don't go ahead and sign players if it's not exactly on their terms or it doesn't exactly fit with what they were planning. I quite like that. Like Man City are so good in every single department. We know Pep doesn't want a big squad. You could probably pick bones in this and say, oh, what about there? What about at the back? Why haven't they got another fullback? Why don't they replace Cancelo? Pep doesn't want to. Pep's not building like that at the moment. And you, do you know what? One of the big themes, as I say, that we've had throughout this conversation is about centre-backs. Man City are not going to have a centre-back crisis this season. No, they are <laughs> not. A, do you know what? Because they're a well-run club. Yeah, like that. the centre-back situation is one problem they won't have. And it's another reason they are absolutely guaranteed to win the Premier League this season. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think this has been a really smart window. And the fact that Kovacic was basically through the door the day before Gundogan walked out of it, just such a smart decision. I'm really intrigued by what 
this City team looks like on paper. And we talked about it a bit on, on Patreon. But the fact that they've brought in Kovacic, elite ball carrier, Jeremy Doku, elite ball carrier, Mateusz Nunes, elite ball carrier. And then Josko Gvardiol, sort of sprayer out of the back from with, with that left foot of his, able to, to pick out those forward runs from Haaland and also from Julian Alvarez. I think that it's going to be very interesting to see how direct City might become from certain areas, but also how they're going to look at driving through teams. I think last year we saw them pass their way through teams uh, and be able to create those spaces. They've now signed a, a wealth of players who can who can carry the ball through midfields, who are press resistant, who are good one on one. And we, they already had, you know, certain players in these areas who, who were good at that. But I wonder what it looks like. And City are now running at you because the idea that Gvardiol could be throwing them over the top. And if he doesn't go over the top, he's going to give the ball to, to Mateusz, to Mateo Kovacic, to Bernardo Silva, to, to Jeremy Doku, to Jack Grealish. These are all elite ball carriers. And I, I'm going to be very, very intrigued to see just how... City changed their structure and changed their possession setup in order to accommodate them. But yeah, as you say, I think this has been a remarkably good window. Um, the fact that it feels quiet as well is nuts. They obviously sold mm-hmm. about 150 millions worth of players and spent 210 millions worth of players. So there's about 60 million difference in that. But so many of these players that have been sold have come from the academy that obviously City are going to bank them in terms of monetary terms. And actually, this window will look like a really serious profit, I think, by the end of it, and in, mm. in FFP terms at the very least. And to do that is is, is pretty remarkable, I think. Yeah, absolutely is. Um, okay, number one is Arsenal. Arsenal was great because they, look, they knew what they wanted and they went and got it. Um, and remember what I said at the top of the show, I'm not judging everybody on necessarily what they've signed it's also about what they needed and what they set out to do who they could have got should have got did they get the x factor arsenal did they did all of that um and they also managed to trim the squad a bit by getting great money for balligan shaka wanted to go and they let it happen and holding and laconga and tavares and tierney all these players you know past their time at arsenal and they've been moved on So, look, it started off as a frustrating window and fans, especially online anyway, were saying Edu out. In the end, Arsenal basically win the window out of these big teams. And I say it for a very particular reason. And that's that Arsenal were not panicking on deadline day. They were so well well under control and well run that everything was sorted. And Declan Rice, their number one priority, they got him. He's brilliant. He will be there for years maybe even the rest of his career. So at £105 million, which they were bold and brave enough to go and do, they've got a leader here for years and years and years and a guy that is absolutely loving it. What a signing that is going to prove to be for Arsenal. They also wanted a defender. They wanted an adaptable and versatile but experienced defender. They got it, Timber. That was a great moment. Now, at the moment, that's tinged because he's injured. But in terms of the signing itself, at yeah. £38 million, yeah. a great signing, a leader himself as well. Like That should have transformed what Arsenal were looking at this season. They've got unlucky. Even Havertz, they wanted a new option from midfield. And Havertz right now is really hard to talk about and judge because he's in such a difficult moment and being trolled by everyone. But Arteta had been wanting something very specific. And... 
Arsenal were so right-sided in their attacking play last season that they knew that had to change. They knew they had to play in a different way this season. And Havertz has an adaptability to play different roles. But importantly also, break out midfield and work closer to Martinelli and drift into those spaces on the left side of the box that Arsenal wanted to bring into the game. They need to fully unlock that and they need to get the proper Havertz going at Arsenal because he hasn't got that smile on his face that he needs. But Havertz, in that Declan Rice-Odegaard pattern, should work. It should work eventually. Now, at the moment, to be honest, I might be... T- I've said on the Patreon show, I'd probably taken him out by now and or maybe not put him in so early and go a bit longer with what you already had last season that was working before you start changing it. But Havertz should be, and I hope for his sake, will be a great signing. David Raya... Backup goalkeeper is potentially going to be better than your number one. That's interesting, complicated, whatever. Ultimately, Arsenal achieved everything they wanted. And as part of it, they've signed, well, the best player in the league, maybe, who's going to definitely define how their season goes. In his and, position, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry, his position. Yeah, 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 his position. And, I, I and think Erling Haaland well, might want a word. He's one of the word. best players in the Premier League. I know, he, I think he Erling Haaland like, might want a word if, if, if that happens. It, um, it's, it's a great signing, so... Well done, Arsenal, for just like the turnaround and where their business was a couple of years ago to where they've got to is remarkable. And it gives hope to clubs like Man United who um, just wish their club could be run this well. Um, I will say, Jack, that when I'm going to look at the overall winners of this window, it's not any of these. It has to be. It has to be Brighton. (laughs) It has to be Brighton. Um, They got £115 million for Caicedo. On the flip side of that, they signed Ansu Fati on loan. They got players like Dahoud and Milner in for free. They get João Pedro in, who's their biggest deal of the summer. £30 million from Watford. Fine. They are the best run club in the country. Their recruitment and talent identification is outstanding. They've ended the window almost £100 million in profit, and there's no sign of their levels dropping off. In fact, they might even be better than they were last season. They've won three of their four Premier League games so far. They're scoring goals for fun. They're the team everybody wishes they supported. Brighton are undoubtedly my actual winners of this transfer window above Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy to say these days that even if they'd sold everyone and signed no one that you'd ever heard of, you would have probably backed <laughs> them to, to be the winners of the window. I've, I've got to say, I've got a shout here for West Ham United. And I didn't think I'd be saying this because I was I was concerned. That, and, you know, lots of you will have heard that I was I had West Ham in, in, in the bottom half conversation, in, in the relegation conversation, even once they sold Declan Rice, because I had zero faith in their ability to reinvest that money sensibly. I am eating humble pie. I think replacing Declan Rice and using that money to bring in Edson Alvarez and Mohamed Kadus from Ajax, bringing in James Ward-Prowse for Southampton from about for about thirty million, and bringing in Mavropanos from Stuttgart, who was who was excellent. I thought last year, obviously, comes with a little bit of a, a question mark in Premier League terms from his time at Arsenal, but has really grown, I think, in his time in the Bundesliga. That is a phenomenal window. A phenomenal window. And also it's working within the constraints of, I think, what David Moyes is, is trying to do. Now, whether Moyes puts a ceiling on this, and I, and I don't mean this in a particularly negative way, I just think that there comes a point with every club where David Moyes is that once you start to you know progress and, and buy better players, the limit, limitations on, on Moyes' kind of game plan sometimes hold those players back. 
But actually to be able to do this and to buy these players who I think actually most of them pretty heavily fit in comfortably with what Moyes is trying to do, I think as reinvestment goes, West Ham have done marvels and I've been really, really impressed with this business. So shouts out to Tim Stighton who obviously had a bit of a tricky start to the summer in terms of wanting very different players to his manager. They've managed to find a compromise and, and a place where they're both happy, it seems. And and I mm. think the West Ham's reinvestment of the Rice money has been uncharacteristically smart. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no, that, that's fair enough. But um, yeah, look, it's been a great Premier League transfer window. Um, a lot of teams have done a lot of good business and it was fun running through exactly how it's panned out. But yeah, let's cross over to you, mate, because I'm interested to see what's been going on in the continent and who the real winners are there. All right. Well, we'll be on the European mainland after the break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. We're talking the big winners of the transfer window for summer 2023. It's time to go to the continent, Dean, where Mm -hmm. I'm going to start off with Paris Saint-Germain. Now... Good. I was so, so, so hoping you were going to do this. I was like, please tell me that this is where he's beginning the discussion because it's honestly fascinating. Well, if you told anybody that someone that PSG were going to lose Messi and Neymar in a single window and come out looking sharper and fresher Mm -hmm. than they did before, I think people would have looked at you like you had two heads. But that has what happened because that's what they've done. Exactly. They've made their squad stronger in every other aspect. And the fact that those departures helped to appease Kylian Mbappe and keep him at the club is massive. More than that, mate, I actually like PSG now. I'm actually starting to like PSG because I like the players that they're signing. Oh, I, I hate I'm, sure, I'm sure that was the key element of actually their transfer business this summer. They yeah, were like, oh, like, Dean Jones might like us now. Dean keeps slating us on ranks. Like, well, he hates our policy of signing these types of players and the way we go about things. We've got to change it. Well done, PSG. I'm back on board. Mm, look, I mean, it was a it was a pretty wild window in, in terms of the ins and outs. Uh, obviously, Lionel Messi left for into Miami. See, Neymar left for Al Hilal. There was a few other departures of, of note. Renato Sanchez went off to Roma on loan. Leandro Paredes joined him at Jose Mourinho's Roma. We saw Gini Wijnaldum head off to Al Etifak. There have been, you know, since a big one, Sergio Ramos released as well. So you kind of look at that and go, right, how do you rebuild the squad? Well, they have an all-star, all-French front three now of Randall Kolomouani, Kylian Mbappe, and Usman Dembele. Now, if they're all fit, and that's a big if, and it's a fair if as well, there is a lot to like about that. And there are the French team. We were talking about the fact that Mbappe was in what they call the loft, which is basically the bomb squad at PSG a couple of weeks back. And we were talking about it and going, what happens at the end of the window if they haven't sold him? And does he stay there? Does he stay in, in, in this area where he can't do it? And surely the France national team will be absolutely at war with PSG. I tell you what, they're not going to be at war with PSG. They're going to be absolutely delighted with PSG because that may well be the French starting three and next summer's European championships. And that yeah. is pretty remarkable in terms of a turnaround. They've also brought in Luca Hernandez from Bayern Munich, another French international. It feels like that policy of, of bringing in French players and, and kind of relying on them is, is starting to grow. And they brought in Brad de Barcola, who was brilliant at the under 21 European championships this summer from Lyon. A, a really, really exciting player. Now, whether he is someone who features heavily this season or not, I'm not quite sure. 
But you kind of add to that the fact that Gonzalo Ramos was somehow allowed to join on loan from Benfica. Now there is an obligation to buy at the end of the window, uh, at the end of the summer, but fine, no problem. They brought in Manuel Agat from Sporting, who I think is an absolutely sensational signing in the middle of the park to just stiffen that up um, and, and kind of be the long-term replacement, I think, for, for Marco Verratti. Different kind of player, but Luis Enrique has said that Verratti is not going to play for him. He wants him out of the club. Um, and, and basically, that's that. You now look at the depth mm-hmm. in this side. Obviously, there's some sort of strange decisions going on at goalkeeper where they have five different goalkeepers. Sergio Rico is obviously not going to play in, in this season after his horrific accident, but glad he's well. Uh, they brought in Arna Tenas, who was the Spain under-21 goalkeeper. Um, but Donnarumma has the number one shirt pretty locked down. Remains to be seen what happens with Keylor Navas. The centre-back core added Luke Hernandez, added Milan Skriniar to Marquinhos and Kimpembe. <laughs> Locked, rock solid. That is so, so impressive. Also, we know that Danilo Pereira mostly plays there these days. Nordi Mukiele can play there a little bit as well. So that's fine. They've got Nuno Mensch at a left back. We've got Hakimi at right back. We know Mukiele can play at right back as well. They have a little bit light. They've, they've brought back... He brought back Levin Kazawa, who was on loan at Fulham last year and didn't really make an impact. So it might be yeah. a tad light at left back, but you kind of look at that. It, it's this midfield core. So they have Vitinha, who came in last year. Verratti is not going to play, so we can we can kind of rule him out. But Fabian Ruiz, Carlos Soler, Warren Zaire, Enemary, who's one of the you know best young talents, I think, in in the country. And and you look at that and go, wow, you add that to Ugat and Danilo, who can also play there. It's just such a deep centre midfield core and then it gets ridiculous you know we spoke about Dembele, Barcola, Asensio, Mbappe, Colomuani, Gonzalo Ramos, Hugo Ekateke didn't go out on loan which I was kind of a little bit surprised about um, mm. I thought that would have been a good thing for him but this squad looks deep it looks well put together and I think that as we see this side progress under Luis Enrique PSG are not just going to be a force in, in Liga where they always are but this is the kind of side that you can see going deep in the Champions League. I'm not going to sit here and go, PSG are going to win the Champions League because I think we need a- actual evidence to show that they have come through the period of just not being mm. able to get it done. But I think this gives mm. them as good a chance as they've had for a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, it's impossible to be able to predict that, obviously. But um, they're going to win Liga. Um, and I'm actually going to watch... Like, not having to watch Neymar anymore at PSG is just a great thing. I, I just it's didn't enjoy it. I like, yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't want to see it. And like knowing that he's gone and that I can instead watch Gonzalo Ramos and Colo Moani build themselves in the game is something I'm not going to be missing. So yeah, honestly, I think PSG have done my favorite business of any club in the whole of Europe this summer. I think that's a really fair shout. Okay, let's go over to Germany. And there's a lot of people going to be talking about Bayern. Uh, <laughs> obviously, Bayern have signed Harry Kane, who is obviously one of the most lethal and brilliant strikers in the world. They signed Kim Min Jai, who was arguably the most in-demand centre-back in Europe at the start of the summer from Napoli. Uh, and they've signed a new goalkeeper in, in Daniel Peretz from Maccabi Tel Aviv for quite a low fee. He's quite exciting. Um, but also Manuel Neuer has returned to training and you'd imagine he's going to take back that spot. They also signed Conrad Lima from RB Leipzig uh, on, on a free and they signed Rafael Guerrero from Borussia Dortmund on a free. Overall, you look at that just kind of plain and go brilliant window. Absolutely brilliant window. The problem is that Tuchel's not happy 
because he hasn't got the number six that he felt like he wanted. That move for Joao Polina at Fulham fell through on deadline day. They weren't able to get it done in time. And I think that that kind of affects the the headspace, I suppose, of where Bayern are. So really good window, but it remains to be seen if Tuchel is happy with exactly what happens. I don't think there can be any such questions about Bayer Leverkusen, who have had a stunning summer, uh, as far as I'm concerned. There were a couple of relatively big departures. Um, Bellarabi walked for free. Paulinho, who was at one point meant to be the next great hope, a Brazilian player, has left to go back to Brazil at Atletico Mineiro. Um, we saw Musa Diaby, the big one, leave for Aston Villa as well. And, and Kerem Demabai moved on to Galatasaray. But you look at the players that were brought in here. Alex Grimaldo coming in at left wing back to replace Mitchell Backer in this system. Brilliant signing on a free. You look at Jonas Hoffman, who was brought in from Borussia Mönchengladbach, who are a little bit of a mess, but Hoffman has been one of the most reliable, consistent performers in the Bundesliga for the last couple of years. Granit Xhaka came back from Arsenal to add a bit of steel and a bit of experience in this midfield to step in, in place of, of where Demabai played last year. I think that's an upgrade. They've brought in Victor. I'm told, I've been told on reliable terms, it's Boniface, not Boniface. Um, oh, really? This is what I have been... I mean, that would have been to. my obvious place to go, but just assume that it's wrong. Well, I, I knew that's... I had a friend at my primary school called Bonifacio, who was a, a, a Filipino oh, really? boy. Um, so I, I just kind of went with that. But apparently that <laughs> I'm... Um, apparently that's wrong. So apparently it's Boniface, um, who okay. has started this season like a train. They brought in, late on, Josip Stanisic on loan from Bayern Munich, which I really, really like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right towards the end of the window, they brought Nathan Taylor from Southampton, which I wasn't expecting at all. <laughs> you know, Teo had a, such a brilliant season last year in the championship on loan at Burnley. He was he was absolutely brilliant. And, and it felt like the natural thing to him to do was to go back to Southampton and help them with their charge to try and get back into the Premier League. Instead, he's joined Xabi Alonso's by Leverkusen. I just think that this squad is great. They've obviously started the season brilliantly. And this they're just heaps of fun and I think that we thought that they would lose loads of players this summer and it just Mm. hasn't kind of worked out like that we thought that they would lose more than just Diaby it was big question marks over whether Jeremy Frimpong would be there there was interest in Piero Hincapié there was interest in in Patrick Schick at one point and instead they've managed to hold on to all of these players and Florian Wirtz who came back from injury to become you know, to, to, to really kick the season back into gear last year, I thought, and has started this season really well as well. I was concerned yeah. that they might get picked apart. Instead, it feels like they've really, really strengthened. I am super excited about this Leverkusen side. Yeah, I mean, it's deeper. Like, if you think of the centre-backs, like Tar and Tapsabar, they were both both targeted by clubs in, in England, particularly, like, um, Arsenal had a look, West Ham had a look, Man United had a look, all in that direction. And, couldn't get them out. Like I think Leverkusen are really good at persuading players that they're on the verge of something good. They did it last year, <laughs> um, the RB last year, and like he thought they were going to be achieving big things, and obviously it didn't quite work out. But a year later, here we are with this team playing unbelievable stuff and scoring goals for fun, and 
yeah, I think their their chance for on both ends is has been absolutely spot on. Yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, all right, I want to go to Italy. Uh, I want to talk about both of the Milan clubs. Uh, I'm going to start with AC Milan, and this summer has been one of overhaul. Um, but this, as far as I'm concerned, is how you overhaul a club because mm-hmm. they sold and they were very, very reluctant to sell, but they did sell. Sandra Tonali to Newcastle United for around 70 million euros with 10 million add-ons or so. Um, And that has basically funded the entire summer. But instead of going hard on one player like they did last year with Sharda Ketelara, they have decided that they are actually going to to change that up. Sharda Ketelara has gone out to Atalanta, who also I think have done really good business, but we're not going to talk to them right now. Um, And they have been able to reinvest that in a number of different players. So they brought in Ruben Loftus-Cheek from Chelsea. They brought in Marcus Portiello as a backup goalkeeper from Atalanta on a free. I think that's brilliant business. I've really got to say. Um, They brought in Luca Romero from Lazio, the young winger on a free who looks like a star in the making. Christian Pulisic joined from Chelsea for 20 million euros. Tijani Reinders joined from RZ Alkmaar for 20 million euros. Noah Okafor joined from Red Bull Salzburg for 14 million euros. Samu Chukwes joined for Villarreal for 20 million euros. Yunus Musa arrived from Valencia for, you guessed it, 20 million euros. Mm-hmm. Basically, what they've done is brought in all of these players and thought, okay, we're going we're gonna to buy four for the price that we basically got for Tonali. Also, did you know this? Because this hit me like a train when I was researching this. Mm-hmm. On deadline day, Milan signed Luka Jovic from Fiorentina for free. Yeah, I did. Yeah, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. what a strange move. Right. Um, that man has had a bizarre deal. career. A really, really bizarre career. Um, but it, it's it's interesting. He was okay at Fiorentina, but I think as kind of a third choice striker here, they've done all oh, right. Yeah. They've done all right. You oh, know, obviously yeah. Okafor comes in as the backup, I think, to Giroud, but can also play wide on either side. Um, and then you look at Jovic just being sort of the third. The fact that he's still only 25 years old is stunning. Uh, mm-hmm. It really is. But for all of our sakes, I really do hope that Luka Jovic can, can make it happen um, at Milan. Yeah, I just think that the way that they've overhauled this squad, the way that it, that it just looks so much more fleshed out, especially in the midfield. They now have Ben Asser, they have Adli, they have Loftus-Cheek, they have Reinders, Pobega, who's going to keep that sort of bit part role, Krunic, who can play at the base of midfield, as well as a little bit further forward, and Yunus Musa. That is a really, really strong midfield you know, core. And, and I think that when you look at this Milan side, they feel in a much better position than they were last year. There is much greater depth. There is far less reliance on Rafael Liao with the additions of, of Pulisic and Chukwetze, especially, I think, just be able to, to take a little bit of that creative load. And we've seen him explode into this season as well. I'm just really pleased with what they've done. And I think that it could be the thing that propels them back right into the question of, of a title race. Yeah, I mean, they've they started really nicely. Um, someone like Loftus-Cheek just looks born again. Like, maybe not even born again. Maybe like born <laughs> first time. Like, the style of football that he's playing is just great. So it feels like the club have, have got their verve back. Um, and this needed to happen. Pioli needed a bit of a reinvention. Like, things had fallen flat last season. And even though they reached the semi-final of the Champions League, there was just something lacking and you just couldn't have the everything being on Liao week after week after week and hoping that Giroud could score enough goals in the meantime. The pieces they've put around them now definitely makes you want to continue watching Milan throughout the season. Yeah, 
Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm going to just flip over to, to their City rivals because mm. it looked like it was going to be a really tough window for Inter at the start of it. Obviously, we saw them lose Milan Skriniar to PSG. Um, we saw them lose Edin Dzeko to Fenerbahce on a free. Um, and then it started to get really mucky. Andre Anana left for Manchester United for around 50 million. And then you're like, okay, what, what are they doing here? What's happening? And then Lukaku decided he wasn't coming back to the club after a loan deal last year. Ambrozovic went to Al Nasser, 80 million. You're going, oh dear, this doesn't look very comfortable at all. But I think they've done really, really well in terms of replacing them. You look at, you know, the players that they've signed. Marcus Turam comes in, takes that number nine shirt and has started absolutely brilliantly in that link up with Lautaro. Um, obviously, they made the Acherby deal permanent. They brought Jan Bissek, the young German centre-back in from Aarhus in Denmark. They brought Quadrado in, which has caused a bit of a stir. But key, I think, to all of it was the fact that they brought Jan Sommer in as a replacement for Anana. yes. He's 34 years old and he's not going to be there for, for 10 years. But at sort of 7 million euros, that is about as good as a cheap replacement for Anana as you can ask for in terms of shot-stopping ability. Alexis came back, which I find really weird, but that, that was sort of on a freeze. So it doesn't hugely matter. And then they brought Benjamin Pavard in from Bayern Munich. He wants to play as a centre-back. I think playing on the right-hand side of this three-at-the-back system that Inzaghi plays with is a perfect position for Pavar. Uh, and then they brought David Klaassen in from Ajax on a free transfer on deadline day, which I, I don't think I'll ever understand. But Fratesi came in on loan from, from Sassuolo. They brought in Aldero, the goalkeeper, as a backup uh, on loan from Sampdoria. And they brought in Arnautovic as well for, you know, just to give them little options in, in the final third. And I was really pleased with this business, considering where Milan started, I think this squad looks really, really good and it looks really strong. Mm. And I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with how they've managed to come back off a, a really tough start to the summer and land in the position they are now. Look, these two clubs are top of Serie A. They both are perfect with nine points. Uh, Inter are yet to concede a goal. But generally, I think when you're looking at this, you're thinking about a squad that looks really strong, that has the, the players to, to make another title challenge here. And we could be looking at this point at another one of those seasons where it's the two Milan clubs dominating the table at the top again. Yeah, I mean, it's so competitive up there now in, in Serie A. You already had, obviously, Napoli like holding on to um, their best players and then now AC Milan doing that, Inter doing this and also Inter keeping hold of Lautaro. There was definitely a possibility that Lautaro would look at options this season. Nothing landed for him from the Premier League to te that would have tempted him, like I'm told, like he would have been open to it. Nothing came. And Lautaro now, the leading goal scorer in, in Serie A and having these pieces around him is great. Juventus looking to go again and, ch and actually challenge. Like that league is going to be really, really fascinating. And it's helped massively by, like you say, the, the pieces of business that those two Milan clubs have been able to do. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think they've both done really, really well considering the situation they found themselves in in sort of early June. And you're looking at it mm. going, ooh, that doesn't look very comfy. Um, and, and they've <laughs> both come out of it very, very very nicely. Um, right, so let's go quickly to Portugal and then we'll finish in Spain. Um, and I just want to talk about Benfica because I think that they mm -hmm. were the strongest team in the division by some distance last season. And I think they've only got stronger. They signed Oken Kirkju from Feyenoord for 25 million, which I think could be maybe one of the low key deals of the summer. 
I think that's an absolutely sensational signing. Um, they brought Angel Di Maria back for free, which is fun, and he started nicely. They brought in Juracek from Slavia Prague for around 14 million. Um, not many people will have watched lots of David Juracek, um, he, but I like him, and I know for a fact that Brighton made uh, an, an opening offer for him this summer. So if you haven't seen him, that usually will tell you enough that he is a, a really good player. Uh, Anatoly Trubin came in uh, in goal to replace the outgoing this is Rajodimos. Um, and then they brought in Artica Brau from Fiorentina, who's been brilliant for Fiorentina since he joined from Basel. Uh, and they brought in Gonzalo Gedge back from, from Wolves on loan again. And Juan Bernat, finally they got their left back. You know, and, and this is it. So Juracek and Bernat together cover the issue that Alex Grimaldo left in the squad. Now, I think it's going to be Juracek's spot. I think he's that good. But having Juan Bernat as a backup option on deadline day Really good business, uh, as far as I was concerned. And look, they, they've lost Gonzalo Ramos, so obviously uh, up top they are going to be weaker than where they were last year. But I really do think that Cabral is uh, the kind of player who will score an absolute bucket load in the Primera. They might not be quite as good in Europe, but generally I've been really impressed. There's also, you know, the players who were already there who weren't necessarily getting the look in up front because of yeah, yeah, Ramos's form. So you actually look at someone like Peter Musa, the Croatian, who's been there a couple of years, who's a really good player. Um, and, and you kind of look at that and go, okay, how does that work then? How, how does that fit? And, and I think between him and Cabral, they now have options in that area to, to make things happen. So I'm pretty excited to see this team in action. I think up front, they look slightly weaker than they were last year, but everywhere else, I think this tide looks stronger. And mm. that's a really cool place to be, I think, for Benfica going into a new season, considering how good they yeah. were last year. Yeah, that's a good little lesson. I didn't know enough about that that specific team's um, transfer spend. But yeah, that, that that is really interesting. And obviously, like, such a conveyor belt that they produce. Um, they're always looking to have to reinvent themselves and remodel. So it sounds like they're bang on track. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Um, right, quickly to Spain, shall we? Because... It's been a funny old season and a funny old transfer window yeah. for Barcelona. Uh, because at one point it looked like it was going to be all sunshine and roses. And then it looked like it was going to be, you know, cannons at dawn. And then suddenly it's all <laughs> calmed down a little bit. So obviously they lost a few key players. Busquets and Jordi Alba both went off to into Miami. We saw... From Kessier, who played sort of a bit part role last year, go off to Al Ali. And then we saw Usman Dembele leave for PSG. Now, that was the kicker, right? That was the one they were like, oh no, oh no, we've now lost Usman Dembele and we don't have enough attacking options to make things happen. Yeah. On the final day, they managed to pull the levers and get Joao Felix and Joao Cancelo through the door. Now, I think they could be the moments that save this Barcelona season because I've been very unconvinced with their attacking kind of properties, if you will, in the first couple of games. And they've been able to fund quite a lot of this with some outgoing loan moves, a few sales. Um, and it's just one of those you're going, OK, fine. You know, you've made nearly 70 million off the sales of Nico Gonzalez to Porto, Franck Kessier to Al-Ali, Usman Dembele to PSG, and Abdez Alzuli to Betis, who left on deadline day in order to make that Joao Felix deal happen. Now, there's going to be plenty of people who are angry about that because Abdez is one of those players who can make things happen. And he was really, really good on last year on loan at Osasuna. 
Um, but I think what they've done here is managed to upgrade and managed to get player in Indra Felix, who has the weight of the world on his shoulders, but now is at a club. I think we will appreciate the talents that he brings to the pitch. Um, and they also obviously brought in Gundogan on a free, Inigo Martinez on a free, and former La Masia prospect Oriol Romeo from Girona for sort of three and a half million euros. Lots of it is kind of like, okay, how have they kind of got off the back of it? They won the league last year. I think they've just about, just about held the ship steady. And oh, that's yeah. about as much as you can ask for when you're in the kind of financial trouble that Barcelona have been in. Yeah, they keep digging themselves out of it. And um, yeah, the Jao Felix one obviously has is, is, is really tipped it into their favour in terms of having the creativity and the ingenuity that you're going to need to get through a season. We've seen so far this season that Barca have been... Oh, they, their matches haven't been that easy to watch, apart from the Villarreal one. Like it's, it's they've all been a bit of um, a war of attrition. But like they just need to start unlocking teams a bit more and finding the inventiveness about them. And I feel like now that they've got their transfer business complete. We are going to see that fully loaded. And um, yeah, I think Barca can be very, very confident that we're going to see a season where I, I don't know how you split Real Madrid and Atleti and Barcelona right now, but it's going to be a, a good battle. It looks like. Yeah. Yeah, um, I just want a quick word on Girona, who have been the surprise package so far in La Liga. Uh, obviously, they sold Romeo to Barcelona and then they sold Santiago Bueno to Wolves uh, just towards the end of the window. But they've had a really fun window. They brought in Dali Blind on a free from Bayern Munich. <laughs> they brought in Savio on loan from Troyes. Um, they brought in Yanga Herrera, who is a player that I very much love. Um, but in the centre of the park, they've brought in him on a free from Manchester City. Well, not free, but he's within the City group. Um, and they brought in a loan for, for Pablo Torre from Barcelona, the young midfielder, and Eric Garcia as well, the centre-back. Artem Dovbik joined from Dnipro in Ukraine uh, to link up with Viktor Shankov. Um, and I, I just really kind of on board with how this team is, is operating. I think that they're going to be plenty of fun. Um, they have a really interesting possession game going on um, under Mikel. And I just, I'm, I'm really excited about watching them develop because it's a young side with plenty about them and, and they're having a lot of fun, I think. So yeah, they've brought in some really interesting players and they've started the season really well. So yeah, I, I just wanted to give a small shout out yeah. to Girona at the end there. Absolutely. Uh, and with that, yeah, it's probably time for us to call this segment a day. Um, and after the break, we've got one very special hot take to have a think about before we go. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for a hot take. And this one is particularly spicy. It's from Connor B. And he had this to say. Jack, Dino. This is Connor from LA. Love the pod. Been listening since the BR days. My hot take for y'all is that Rafa Leao is the best player wearing number 10 in the world. Move aside Messi. Move aside Neymar. It's his time. And I say this after Messi helped dismantle my other beloved club, LAFC, last night. Obviously, Rafa's been brilliant for a couple years, but his Pushkas contender this weekend that literally made me do a spit take was next level. I want to give you guys props, too. I've been badgering you with Milan questions for years, and you've been believers in layout since he joined, even during his inconsistent start. I also want to give a shout out to the Patreon and Discord. It's a really fun time. I encourage everyone to join. The extra episodes and community are great. Love how you guys continue to evolve the pod and cover pretty much the entirety of Europe. 
You guys honestly cover Syria more than any non show specific pod. Appreciate y'all up the ranks. Oh, <laughs> thanks, God. I appreciate cool, it. Great stuff. Yeah, loads man. of fun. Um, I love the whole message. I love the Liao take. It's absolutely steaming hot. And uh, it's probably wrong, but it's steaming hot. Um, and yeah, I love the support for the for the pod. Do come over to, to Patreon. Like we have so much fun. Like you lot that aren't involved, like don't realize like how good it is. Like it's it's so cool. Like come over to Patreon if you can. Uh, we would really appreciate it. And I think you would all love it too. But anyway, um, I also obviously watched LAFC get dismantled by Messi. And uh, Messi is still, unfortunately, the best number 10 in the world. Um, he would get into any team in the world. And I can't get away from that. I am obsessed with Rafael Yao. I said this on Patreon yesterday. I love the guy. Like the goal that he scored at the weekend, whatever I called it, a sit down overhead, whatever you want to call it, is ludicrous. He's not he's not at Messi levels yet. He's a bit of a different player to Messi, so it's slightly different. But he has now got the 10 on his back. And so it is a new conversation that we're having with Liao in terms of how far he's going to go, what he can do now. Like, if you're not watching Serie A, people, if you don't watch AC Milan, you've got to start because you need to know about Rafa Liao. Like, now is your last chance before the whole world knows enough about him that your opinion doesn't matter. You've got probably a couple more months to count as being like one of the early people on the Rafael Liao steam train, because this guy is going to be around for the next 10 years. He's one of the best players in the world. He's not quite yet the number best number 10 in the world. He's only just got the number 10 shirt, but he's going to be, if he keeps wearing the 10 in that conversation for a long time, who else is a good number 10? Well, I, I wonder, are we allowed to use international players wearing 10 here or not? Yeah, of course. Well, because Kylian Mbappe wears number 10 for, <laughs> for France. So I'd imagine that he might have to be in the conversation. I'm not yeah. sure Connor had that in mind. And also, uh, Bernardo Silva wears 10 for Portugal. So I, I mm. would probably have those two ahead of him. But in terms of club players, especially in Europe, I'm kind of struggling, to be honest. I am I'm kind of struggling to find players who who are better than Rafael Leal currently wearing the club shirt. Usman Dembele has just taken the PSG number 10 shirt. He probably has a little bit of a stab at this conversation, yeah. although I think Leal is probably further ahead in his development at this point. Leroy Sané wears it for Bayern Munich. Um, still a wonderful yeah. footballer. Um, so, yeah, Grealish at City. Emil Smith-Rowe at Arsenal. I don't think Emil Smith-Rowe yeah. is in the conversation, I'll be honest. Marcus Rashford. Again, I don't think he's as good as Liao. Um, you don't think he's as good as Liao? I think that's a bit wrong. I think that's a bit wrong. I, I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> think... Lautaro Martinez probably should be in this conversation yeah, at this point. Yeah, Lautaro. Um, obviously, Harry yeah. Kane has had the number 10 shirt taken off him. He now wears number nine. So yeah. he, he, he removes himself from the conversation. Um, Luka yeah. Modric is still wearing it at Real Madrid. Oh, yeah. Luka Modric, yeah. legend of the game. Faster, um, I guess, haven't got a 10 because Fatty was wearing it, wasn't he? Well, I think that they're going to have to give it to someone because the way Shall? that... the Felix got a number? Joao Felix took 14. Uh, the way yeah. that the, the system works in Spain is that if you have 26 players, they all have to be registered through the numbers 1 to 26. But yeah. I don't know if Barcelona actually have 26 players. <laughs> so um, <laughs> they might not have to do that. But yeah, it's... Um, what about Napoli? Napoli don't have a number 10. 
they they did unretire it really briefly um, yeah. after Maradona, but uh, they then re-retired it because the club went absolutely uh, ballistic. Well, the fans went uh, absolutely batshit. So um, they, oh, I wasn't they... sure if like Varskelly or someone had been given it since then, and I've, I haven't really seen Napoli this season yet, so I haven't seen the squad numbers. I've only watched them briefly. So um, weirdly, do you know why Napoli had to unretire the shirt? No, when they dropped to Serie C, the starting eleven have to wear numbers one to eleven. Oh, so they had to say to use it again. So I think you know they they basically just got some random random players wearing it week in week out, uh, and then I think the last player was Roberto Sosa who wore mm. it when they were down in that in that, he was an Argentine, which is quite nice, I suppose. Um, but yeah, they once as soon as they got back out of Serie C, they basically re-retired the number ten shirt. Nice. So yeah. Good story. There you go. Lots of fun. Good stuff. Uh, there we go. With that, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. So all there's left for me to say thank you to Connor for that hot take and those mm. lovely words. Thank you very much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Knave of Hearts. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever. We really do appreciate you, Ranks God, and we will see you very, very shortly. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game, a chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.